Hey everybody, Magnus here. Today I'm going to tell you about the story of a man. A bunch of women, don't get me wrong, but... One man... And his monkey. Hey, your attention please! This... is a piece of art. His Kryptonian biological makeup is enhanced by Earth's yellow sun. Doctor Doom wears body to conceal his own mangled form. Worst episode ever. Why? Who shot first? Who gives a shit? It's what's called super nerd nitpicking over something that's not really that important. Welcome back to Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, presented by Two True Freaks. I'm your host Magnus, and around here it's all comics, all movies, all TV shows, all the time. That's just how things are on this show. Now, here's a little bit of fucked up trivia for you guys. This show was originally planned and slotted for release for October the 22nd. 2013, but it never happened. Instead, I went with something else entirely. So, you might ask exactly what happened. Well, two things. First, out of nowhere, I got the idea for my Superman Begins miniseries, which was intended to acknowledge a lot of different Superman origin stories from comics leading up to the Blu-ray release of Man of Steel. Really, it's about that simple. Second, though, this episode just... It just didn't work the way I wanted it to. I wasn't happy with the original version of this episode. But it's really rare for me to just throw an idea away. Usually, I try to find some kind of way to make it all work. And that's what happened here. Went back to the drawing board and pretty much rebuilt this son of a bitch from the ground up. This whole episode. Which leads to the obvious question, what is today's show all about? Well, all in good time. Today, I kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk about something that's not a mainstream superhero comic. Now, I love superheroes, don't get me wrong. In fact, those are my favorite kinds of comics, but the simple fact of the matter is that comics as a medium has more to offer than just superhero stuff. And it's high time I started exploring some of that. And I'm dragging you guys along for the ride because this isn't a democracy. I am Magnus. My word is law around here. So... Anyway, 
But moving right along, part of the idea behind this podcast is talking about all different kinds of comics from all different kinds of eras. And since standard superhero stuff has been covered well enough by now, why not try something new? And that leads us rather conveniently to today's subject. Today, I'm going to be talking about the first five issues of Why the Last Man, written by Brian K. Vaughn, penciled by P. Aguera, and published by Vertigo beginning in 2002. Now, Vertigo was DC's mature readers, quote-unquote, the mature readers imprint for most of the 90s and 2000s. The basic idea seemed to be that if you had something that's just different, or maybe is a little too much of a hot potato for the mainstream DC universe, you might still be able to do it as a Vertigo comic. Now, a lot of Vertigo comics sought absolutely no approval from the Comics Code, and as such, they really didn't have the same kinds of limitations that your more mainstream DC stuff did. There was a time in the 90s when that became something of an albatross, though. And, now look, I can't speak for anybody else, but for a while there, you just couldn't go to a comic book store to pick up the new Robin or the new Amazing Spider-Man issues without getting smug looks of superiority from these creepy, tatted-up goth chicks obsessed with their fucking Sandman trade paperbacks and all that shit. Is is damned annoying, to tell you the truth. <sighs> I swear. Somebody should do an episode about the top five most fucking annoying things about visiting comic book stores in the 1990s. Because, you know, call me crazy, I think your main challenge would be limiting the shit to only five entries. Because, I, I swear to fuck, I could do three hours on that topic without breaking a sweat. But, anyway. To bring it all back to the main subject here, though, like I said... I'm going to talk about Why the Last Man, number one through five. Now there's a concept I can't get enough of, a man and his monkey. If you're at all familiar with Why the Last Man, you probably realize that the first five issues coincide with the first story arc of that series called Unmanned. And Unmanned, part one, introduces several characters, primarily Yorick Brown, his monkey sidekick Ampersand, his his sister, Hero Brown, Agent 355 of the American Special Forces, Dr. Allison Mann, and Alter Salon of the Israeli Defense Force. It's like anything, I guess. The first issue is mostly set up as Vaughn works to establish many different characters. So, in short order, we meet Agent 355 while she attempts to retrieve an amulet from a woman in Jordan. Dr. Allison Mann goes into labor, and Alter Salon attempts to evacuate an American television news crew from her war zone. We also learn that Yorick, the main character of the series, he's an escape artist living in Brooklyn who misses his girlfriend, Beth, while she's vacationing in the outback. Yorick proposes marriage. All of these events are happening at the same time when suddenly the male of every species in the entire world, basically anything with a Y chromosome, all starts dying simultaneously in a single instant. Everybody, that is, except for Yorick Brown and his monkey ampersand. 
Why the Last Man number two, which is the second part of Unmanned, picks up two months later. Yorick's been roaming the streets of Washington, D.C. in disguise by wearing a gas mask while he makes his, uh, makes his way to the White House in search of his mom. Along the way, he meets a male corpse-collecting woman who confirms that all men, and really the males of every species, have all died out. But before they get too much further into the conversation, Ampersand accidentally unmasks Yorick. The body collector attempts to kidnap Yorick so that she can sell him, but Yorick, being a professional escape artist, escapes from her handcuffs and pretty much the minute her back's turned on him. Agent 355 finds Margaret Valentine, the former Secretary of Agriculture, to bring her back to Washington as, at this point, she's the President of the United States. York finally makes his way to the White House and reconnects with, with his mom. She gives him information about Dr. Allison Mann, the world's leading expert on asexual reproduction, so that they can possibly figure out a way to begin repopulation. Before they can get too much farther into their conversation, though, the window in Mrs. Brown's office gets completely blown out. She seems convinced that the shit has officially hit the fan. The third chapter begins six hours before the end of the second issue, with Agent 355 and President Valentine attempting to make their way back to the White House. Right now, though, Mrs. Brown and Yorick are both pinned down in the White House by the wives of deceased Republican senators and representatives who want to be given their husband's seats to prevent one party or the other from dominating the government. Mrs. Brown locks Yorick inside a security bunker in the White House while she figures out, or tries to figure out, a way to make peace with the Republican wives. The negotiations go bad when the Republican's hostage accidentally gets shot. After that, a full-scale firefight ensues, and only the arrival of Agent 355 and President Valentine is enough to make it all stop. And, of course, that's the moment Yorick, who's escaped from the bunker, chooses to make his grand entrance. Later, Yorick makes it clear that he wants to find Dr. Mann, the bioengineer, and then his girlfriend. President Valentine agrees to that and assigns Agent 355 to be Yorick's bodyguard. Back in Tel Aviv, Alter, who's appointed herself chief of the general staff, is busy coordinating war in order to obtain peace for Israel when she receives a phone call from a governmental state house located in America. The issue ends with the caller in America advising Alter of Yorick's existence. The fourth chapter has York suggesting that he and 355 pay a visit to Boston to search for Hero Brown, which is York's sister. York also stops by the Washington Monument, which, for obvious reasons, is being used as the memorial site for the male of all species. He infiltrates the memorial, the memorial site in disguise, but before too long, Amazons attack. You see what I did there? The Amazons are a pissed-off group of militant feminists who are sincerely happy that all men are gone. Yorick intervenes and unmasks himself, which is just about the dumbest thing he's ever done. The Amazons beat him up, <clears throat> and he fights back a little, but before they can finish him off, Agent 355 saves his ass. Yorick reminds 355 that they're supposed to make a detour to Boston to search for his sister, which is overheard by one of the Amazons 355 just beat up. That Amazon makes it back to the Amazon leader, Victoria. She tells Victoria that 
she'd met Yorick and that he's headed to Boston. So Victoria asked for one of her Amazons, who's familiar with Boston, to lead a search party to kill him. Hero Brown volunteers. The fifth and final chapter of Unmanned starts with Yorick Brown and Agent 355 in Boston as they resume their search for Dr. Mann after being unable to find Hero Brown. Meanwhile, a group of Amazons have captured a girl riding on one of their motorcycles. After finding out that the girl probably bought the motorcycle from 355 in Yorick when they left the Washington Memorial, Victoria forces Hero to kill either the girl because she mouthed off to Victoria or to kill herself. Hero takes the gun and then blows the girl's brains out. Meanwhile, Agent 355 in York find Dr. Allison Mann's office, who claims that cloning a son for herself is what caused the plague which killed all males. She changes her mind when she sees York and Ampersand, though. So maybe it wasn't her attempt at cloning a son that caused all of this. Ampersand jumped out a window and makes a run for it, which causes all three of them to chase after him. Several hours later, IDF soldiers show up in Dr. Mann's office. Several hours after that, Dr. Mann, 355, Yorick, and Ampersand return and find Dr. Mann's office on fire, which 355 reasons must have been ar arson. Dr. Mann reveals that her data was backed up in California, but who the hell knows if that hasn't been burned down too. York suggests going to Australia, finding his girlfriend, and making babies the old-fashioned way. Agent 355 says that she, York, and Dr. Mann must stick together no matter what. But she admits that she doesn't know what to do next. And that's where the story arc ends. So, I guess I should start off the commentary section by pointing out that this book is Fucking amazing. How amazing? Well, I read the first issue of Why the Last Man, and then I read the entire rest of the series within 24 hours. I've never, I've never done that with a comic book before this, and I haven't done that with a comic book since this. Not for the James Robinson Starman series. Not even for The Walking Dead that's how good Why the Last Man is. The writing here is phenomenal. Vaughn sets up a situation where he can bash on literally everybody. I don't care how conservative you think you are or how liberal you think you are, how religious, how non-religious, or whatever else. Everybody gets absolutely pinned to the wall in this book. I honestly can't think of very many ideologies or isms that don't get completely destroyed by the end of this series. This five-part introductory story kind of hints at it, but the series itself tackles a lot of philosophical problems. How would the extinction of an entire gender change society? Change government? International relations and foreign policy? art and literature, religion, sexuality. Shit, how would it change feminism? Vaughn calls everything into question here. Now, Unmanned as a story doesn't necessarily tackle all of those questions, but it starts raising a lot of them, and the rest of the series gets into it a lot more. And I have to tell you, this, this entire book 
which is to say, why the last man, this entire series. It's a hell of an interesting read. It's an entertaining read, just on a philosophical level. I mean, one of the things that really makes the story work, if you ask me, is Yorick himself, because, I mean, let's face it, that Mangina hipster isn't the guy that anybody would want to be the last man on Earth. And it should say a little something-something that issue two takes place two months after the plague hits, and he hasn't gotten laid the entire time. I mean, imagine if you're the only man in a world full of women. I don't care how unattractive you are. Odds are good that there'd be tons of women waiting in line to hop in bed with you after two months if you announced your presence to them. But I probably shouldn't talk about that. I'm probably offending the female listener, so I'll just move on. So anyway, Yorick. He's also the last guy that anybody would want on their side in a fight. The guy's just completely useless. And I guess to get into the last little bit of this, you get into Pia Guerra's art. Now, I think this series benefits from not having an overly realistic penciler because for as serious as the story is it's not something that an artist with a really heavy gritty style would necessarily compliment but to me the other thing is Guerra has the gift of giving everyone a specific look now that's important because in this book well put it this way it's typical for a lot of comic artists to have a generic body type molded out and ready to go at all times for everybody but Guerra goes to some really crazy extremes to make sure that everybody in this story has unique facial features and a unique body type so that they're instantly recognizable even without context or a character helpfully reminding you of their name or how they relate to the story and this is important because the, the majority of the cast of characters in Why the Last Man, they're mostly women. So you don't have necessarily the same bag of tricks that other artists do as far as shorthand and drawing characters and developing a style and all those sorts of things. That's not an option here. So Guerra has to go way above and beyond in giving everybody a completely distinctive look. And the guy nails it. I honestly don't know what Pia Guerra is up to these days, but, you know, he did such a phenomenal job on this book that it would be a crying shame if the guy just didn't have work and stuff just coming out of his ears. You know, he's just the kind of artist that you want to see things work out for, you know? And, and that's that. So, now, I gotta be... I gotta be honest here, this is one of those books that I could just read all you know, all day long and never get sick of it. I know I'm gonna come back to it again sometime in the future. And I've made that promise about other books. The Mark Wade, Barry Kitson, three boot series of the Legion of Superheroes. And I also made that same promise about Jonah Hex. And I'm gonna make it about why the last man. I don't know when I'm ever going to be able to come back to this. But I know that I will. In fact, I'm going to come back to all three of those. 
I'm going to come back to the three boot legion of superheroes. I'm going to come back to Jonah Hex and bet your ass. I'm coming back to why the last man, uh, all of those, because you know, the, if you ask me those three, I mean, look, I'm not saying that these are the three greatest comics that they've ever been, but to me, these are three comics that I'm absolutely fucking in love with. And I want to talk about more on the show, but it's just, I've got the way that it is right now. I've got not recorded. You understand, but I've got plotted. Everything going up to episode 350 of Trennis Magnus Punches Reality, right? All of this without very many repeats or revisits or anything like that. I mean, there are times when I kind of need to pick back up in a particular series, but that's about it. That's 350 episodes without touching back to Jonah Hex the three boot legion of superheroes or why the last man so that's a fucking long way to go now this is just a plan this is not the bible it's not written in stone things can change this thing has changed a lot just in the last couple of weeks but my point is i've got so much that i want to talk about during the lifetime of this show that really what it, it the the big challenge that i think i'm going to face as i go along is finding a finding a way to work in everything that i want to do and so that's pretty much that. So, I did, like I said, all of this is basically my way of saying I don't know when I'm going to come back to Why the Last Man, or for that matter, the Three Boot Legion of Superheroes, or come back to Jonah Hex or whatever else. I don't know when I'm going to have a chance to do it. All I can tell you, though, is that the time will come. I will come back to this. So just keep your eyes peeled for that. But for right now... I'm going to take a break, and I'm going to just play a couple of promos, and then after that, I've got a shitload of listener feedback that I've got to work through. So sit tight, and I guess enjoy the promos. If you like strange pop culture, if you like obscure stuff that you wish you'd have heard of years ago and you don't know what it is, if you like just that kind of stuff, old radio, um, obscure, unmarketable pop culture, uh, strange chiptune music, um, all sorts of things like that can be found on the Quake Reversal Satellite on Overnightscape Underground at O-N-S-U-G dot com. It's an amazing show at an amazing place full of uh, strange and unmarketable internet transmissions. Hours and hours and days and just O-N-S-U-G dot com. Take a look around and I bet you you'll find something. They are the first and best team of mystery men ever to assemble for the cause of justice. The heroes that have been part of their ranks are legendary. They fight for America and for democracy, and yet no one has devoted a podcast to their exploits. Until now. Unfortunately... 
It's hosted by these guys. I don't care what Julia Schwartz says. Yeah, league sounds like a baseball team. I f- hate baseball. So there you go. Um, first F-bomb of the show. Um, How did you not... beat me to the first F-bomb of the show? <laughs> Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey present Tales, Tales of the, the Justice, Justice Society, Society of America. America. Fridays at Two True Freaks. Dot Libsyn, dot com. Why do you think superheroes are so important? People need heroes because they need somebody to inspire them, something to aim for, somebody to try to be like. Man of Tomorrow, with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. The other, the caped crusader, carrying out a solemn vow to spend his life warring on all criminals. For seven decades, they've been the world's finest heroes. They've teamed on radio, comics, newspapers, animation, and more. And now, they're teaming up for a podcast. To the Batmobile. Let's go. Up. Up. And away. Atomic batteries. Turbines to speed. Roger. Superman and Batman celebrates more than 70 years of the world's finest team with randomly chosen stories featuring the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight. Superman and Batman. Featuring your two favorite heroes in one podcast together. Find it today at greatcrypton.com. Okay, so let's see if I can get this done right the second time. Uh, this is feedback. Now, the first time I tried to record this, fucking audacity crashed on me, which is fucking typical. So let's see if I can get it done right this time. My first email, this is from Socrates, dated January the 22nd, the title of which is Trends I Wish Disappeared from Comicdom. Now, To kind of give you some context on all of this, basically what happened was I put on the Trentus Magnus Punches Reality Facebook page, just put up a little, I don't know, request, I guess, for members to email me at trentusmagnus at gmail.com. Trends in fandom, if, if there was a way to put this shit out to pasture tomorrow, they'd do it. And so I got a decent amount of feedback. I read I read some things from Fanboyimus Prime previously, and now Socrates is uh, has got some some suggestions here. So Socrates writes, "Great show, oh great Master Magnus! Thank you for the golden opportunity to air a few simple grievances." Well, it's my pleasure. Number one, old fanboys complaining about change in comics and characters. I'm referring to the fanboys that have decades invested in comics. 
In comics, the status quo changes every 10 years or so and reverts to their original forms, more or less, after a few years of the new themes. Batman's been revamped 10 times along with Cap, Iron Man, etc., etc. Bro, stop buying the book until Peter Parker returns if you hate it so much. And I'm going to put your email on pause and just say, there's a sense in which I kind of agree with you because that's sort of where I am. I backed out of the new 52, and it seems like I bring that up every single time I go through one of these feedback sections, but I brought, I, I kind of turned my back on the new 52 because ultimately it, it came down to Superman. And, you know, a lot of people out there have, have, criticized the new 52 and I have a little bit but the main reason I haven't gone into it too much is because it's it, it's been years now people I mean they launched the new 52 back in what was it uh, September or October of 2011 as I as I record this we're coming to the end of January of 2014 the new 52 is apparently not going anywhere okay it's apparently it's here to stay and so I can either buck up against that reality and bash my head into a, uh, into a brick wall, even though things aren't likely to change, or I can say, you know what, I've got my DC Comics era, the, the period that I consider to be my era. I can read that anytime I want. No one can ever take that away from me. And so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put the comics down and let somebody else have a turn. And that's kind of where I am with the new 52. Now, I sort of, uh, <clears throat> I sort of bent that rule whenever I revisited the the Jeff Johns run on Green Lantern. Basically, what happened was years ago, I pretty much tuned out of Green Lantern because they brought back Hal Jordan, and then I decided, you know, uh, maybe I can just read this Rebirth thing, and it's not going to be that bad. I read Rebirth, and it was actually pretty fucking good. And then I decided, well, you know, I can read this. Or actually, what I did was I reread Rebirth. Is actually really what it came down to. But um, anyway, and I thought, well, a lot of people enjoy the Jeff Johns Green Lantern, and there's got to be something here. So I started from the first issue of his Hal Jordan series, that number one. And just worked my way right on through to, I think at the time it was, <clears throat> they were finishing up War of the Lanterns. And this was right before the New 52 started up. And I think it was actually just before the New 52 was even announced. And I got to tell you, you know, I read that entire run. And we're talking at that point, uh, uh, several years worth of comics. And it was one of the best runs of comics that I have ever read. And so... Where the hell was I? Oh, yeah. And so I read that, and then word of the New 52 came down the pipeline, and originally I was a little bit of a cheerleader for the New 52. I thought this was a golden opportunity to put not just Superman, but literally the entire DC Universe on a proper path. Basically give it a firm beginning point give basically the DC universe the equivalent of Fantastic Four number one all right give them their Fantastic Four number one and then 
let him tear it up. Let him go to town with it. And I thought the new 52 was going to be a Scorched Earth page one reboot. If it was in continuity before, it's out of continuity. And in very short order, before the books even started coming out, it became very apparent that was not going to happen. That just was not on the table. And so, like I said, I kind of found myself facing a situation where, and no offense, by the way, to the people who, who like the New 52, if you, if you fell in love with the New 52 and you're just in love with it, you're enjoying it, you're digging where everything's going, dude, more power to you. I'm not trying to change your mind. I'm just saying that for me, for what I want from my DC universe, the new 52 just isn't it. So, anyhow. And like I said, I found myself at this crossroads to where I could keep bashing my head into a brick wall and hope I don't get a concussion out of it, or I could just let it go. You know, there are other things in the world that really are problems that bitching and complaining about how the comic book industry isn't run the way I think it should be, it's just a losing proposition for me, right? So, like I said, I sort of bent the rules on that. You know, after I washed my hands completely of the new 52, I sort of bent the rules on that because word came down the pipeline that Jeff Johns was leaving Green Lantern, and I really hadn't read too much of the new 52 era of, of his work and so I wanted to check it out. And so went ahead and did, and I just kind of skimmed through. I basically sort of did the same reading project as before, but basically this time taking the new 52 into account. I just basically skimmed, and God help me whenever we can say this, the old DC universe, starting with Rebirth and then going right on through to the uh, War of the Lanterns. Just kind of skimmed those, read them in summary, and then read all of the Guardians, all of Green, uh, New Guardians, I should say, uh, all of the New Guardians, all of Green Lantern, all of Green Lantern Corps, read all of them and the annuals, starting from the time that the New 52 kicked off until Jeff Johns' run ended. And you know what? Maybe his run ended with more of a whimper than a bang, but at the same time, it kind of felt like it was worth doing, if for no other reason than this is one of the greatest runs any comic book writer has ever had on any comic book character. In my opinion, Jeff Johns on Green Lantern, it's in my top five best runs of anything ever. I'll put it to you that way. To me, it's on the same level as Mark Wade with The Flash. And I put very few things on that same level, but Mark Wade with The Flash, man, that, that that's something else. So... In general, though, I can kind of understand, and this is my point, I can somewhat relate to the attitude of just being done with it. You know, it's not the way that it needs to be. And it kind of feels like all of this is being put out to pasture so that the comic book industry can chase these bullshit new readers that, in my opinion, just don't fucking exist. There are no new readers, all right? Or at least, let me rephrase that. If there are new readers... They're not, they, they don't exist. New readers do not exist in numbers sufficient enough to replace the old timers, the people that have, that have been here through thick and thin following these characters. And 
through the good times and the bad times, propping this industry up. And we're the ones that are basically being shown the door now. And I realize that, you know, whenever you make a, an animated show out of a comic book character or you make a movie out of a comic book team, you, you have got to keep things fresh for movie-going audiences. And that's just the nature of film. No, I, I think one of the main reasons that Superman Returns fucking tanked it at, at the box office is because it was a take on Superman that, I'm sorry, the majority of people under the age of 30 knew nothing about. When you said Superman to them, they either thought just generically of Christopher Reeve in the outfit, not because they've even seen the movies, it's just that was sort of an iconic image, or they thought specifically of Tom Welling and goings-on with Smallville. To them, that was Superman. And I think that was one of the reasons why Superman Returns ultimately failed. And I think the movie had other things that were working against it. And, you know, I even spent an entire episode talking about that. But, you know, just for quick summary, you know, I, my point is I can understand totally that you need to do things like that to sustain film-going audiences because the old time, the, the nature of fandom there is always to find new new blood because new blood is there to be found. And the price tag of these things, of these movies, of these huge blockbusters is such that you need to have as much widespread appeal as you can possibly get in order to pay for the damn thing. And so, look, that stuff I get. But comics, you don't need... It, it, comics don't have the same... I don't. Maybe the best way to put it is the same kind of financial overhead. All right? And it's all and it's altogether a, a smaller a smaller part of a, a fandom to begin with anyway. The idea of kicking out and alienating the long timers to me that's just that that is economic suicide. And so, on the one hand, look, I understand. I mean, guys, it's been it's been years since the new Fifty Two kicked off. All right, it's obviously not going anywhere. So, for me, or really for anybody, to sit there bitching and complaining about it as if we can somehow change the world we can't all right and so this is actually the one of the reasons i haven't said all that much about the new 52 in general except that it seems to come up in every single one of these feedbacks i do but otherwise i haven't had a show dedicated to how fucking much i hate the new 52 because there's no percentage in that and at this point i feel like all or most of the of the arguments have already been made generally by people who are a lot more eloquent about them than I am and here we are nothing's changed so Dan DiDio Jeff Johns, Jim Lee they have years worth of fan blowback to choose from if all of that isn't enough to change their mind what will? me? I don't think so and I don't think you're going to do it either so I mean on the one hand Socrates I understand where you're coming from that you know fanboys and they're complaining about about how things have gone. It is time to find another theme. I understand that. But on the other hand, I can kind of relate to the attitude that, you know, wait, wait this this was mine. This this was my universe. These were my characters. And you're showing you're you're showing me the door so that you can appeal to these these other assholes? And what's up with that? So I, I guess what I'm saying is I can actually see both sides of the argument, but I kinda tend to come down with the idea that it's been said, you know, no one's mind has changed. And, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not telling anybody to shut up, 
stop complaining. Don't air your point of view. You know, your opinion isn't welcome. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I just don't see what it, what it gains anybody at this point. So, anyway. So that's number one. Getting back into this email from Socrates, number two. Doc Ock Spider-Man has to end. Leave heroes looking for redemption to Buziak and the Thunderbolts. Now, putting your email back on pause here. Keep in mind, I'm the guy that hasn't obsessively followed the Doc Ock Spider-Man, so there's a sense in which, of all people out there in the world, I have less right to comment about this than anybody. But, I don't know. I mean, I'm... I, I, I kind of want to compare this to the Electric Superman era, to where I at least walked into this without any illusions that Superman was going to have electric powers from here to eternity. Right? I viewed it that DC was basically just telling a story. You know, What would happen if, Super, if Superman got a new costume and his powers changed and all this other shit went on? You know? And that's how I looked at it. To me, it was just a story. And, and the lines that people drew in the sand over that, this isn't my Superman. Well, motherfucker, yeah, actually it is. This is the same Superman that got his start in John Byrne's Man of Steel. It's the same Superman that fought Doomsday to a standstill and then died. It's the same Superman that came back from the dead. It's the same Superman that married Lois. It's the same... Su I mean, on and on and on. Yeah, this is, a, this is exactly your Superman, dude. And it's just for six months or a year or two years. He's going to have a different look. He's going to have different powers. But he's not going to be a different person. He's not going to have a different fucking supporting cast. Nothing's really going to change here, except in, like I said, six months, a year, two years. He's going to go back to normal. Other than that, yeah, it's the exact same thing you've already been fucking reading. And the way that people talk about this is really... Well, anyway, I'm going to have to do a fucking separate episode about that. But anyway, my point is... To me, Doc Ock Spider-Man is in that same type of vocabulary where this was never going to be a permanent change. And the fact that people kind of threw hissy fits over this. People, did you ever really think that Peter Parker was never coming back? I mean, look, I don't want to make it sound like I'm picking on anybody or giving anyone a hard time or making fun or anything like that. But, I mean, people, fuck's sake, you know, the, the nature of these characters is to do exactly what's being done. They go through these... these ebbs and flows. They go through cycles. And Doc Ock Spider-Man was just one story that somebody at Marvel desperately wanted to tell. And I don't see where it's worth, you know, now look, I mean, if you just don't like the concept of it, well, whatever. But well, anyway, so anyway, Socrates, I'm not picking on you. I'm not, you know, calling you out. I'm not trying to insult you or anything like that. Um, I'm just saying that, you know, I just wanted to basically give you my point of view about it. So anyway, Getting back into his email, number three. Speaking of Spider-Man, do fans know how many heroes with exposed identities have had similar stories where their identities have been magically removed from public knowledge, i.e. Iron Man, Wally West Flash? Leave OMD, which I assume is one more day, leave OMD alone already. Now, I think there's a little bit of a caveat there. Spider-Man, it wasn't just that his secret identity was put back in the bottle. In fact, of everything that went on with One More Day, I think that's probably 
the highest that would go on the list is anybody's second criticism. You know, the fact that Spider-Man outed himself to the media back in Civil War and then he had Mephisto put the genie back in the bottle. I don't think that was anybody's primary gripe against One More Day. I think, you know, the main issue that people had with One More Day related more to a certain marriage than it was Spider-Man's secret identity being exposed and then undone. And, I don't know. It's just, those other things, the Iron Man and Wally West Flash and stuff, granted, it's been a long time since I read either of those, so maybe I'm not the guy to ask, but I don't think continuity was completely fucking destroyed by either of those, where the Spider-Man thing, putting, basically annulling the marriage, retroactively annulling the marriage, and completely wiping it out from all existence affects a lot of Spider-Man stories. There are Spider-Man stories that are fundamentally different. They happened differently. If Mary Jane didn't know that Peter is Spider-Man and she wasn't married to him. It's simple as that. They would necessarily have had just differences to them. And so I can understand now where people are upset, at least that now continuity is all fucked up. Like, here's an example, right? Only because I was reading this, because I was preparing for another show, another episode of uh, Trinus Magnus Punches Reality, I actually flipped through a little bit of um, uh, Torment, the Spider-Man story by uh, Todd McFarlane from Spider-Man, I think number one through five. And that story is fundamentally different if Mary Jane doesn't know that Peter is Spider-Man and they're not married. Now, maybe that's not the best example to come up with, but it's just one. Oh, okay, well, here's another one then. The Clone Saga. How different does the Clone Saga play out if Mary Jane doesn't know that Peter Parker is Spider-Man and they're not married? How different is it now? Uh, the death of, of Harry Osborn. You know, you go on down the line, major things that have happened... Fuck, Civil War. I mean, how different is that now? How different is Spider-Man's participation in Civil War? Which, I'm, my understanding is, we can assume that still happened. It's just, now Mary Jane doesn't know she, that Peter is Spider-Man, and they're not married. But basically, it's still the same. Well, a lot of Peter's participation in Civil War revolved around the fact that Mary Jane knew he was Spider-Man, and they are married. So, anyway... What I'm saying is is that com continuity is completely fucked up on that. And I can kind of understand people being upset about it. I can't understand why people are still grousing about it. As with the New 52, all these years later, hell, even more years later. I mean, when did that, when did one more day happen? It was like 2008 or something, 2007. And it's been years. And obviously Marvel is serious about it. The spider marriage is not coming back. And so... I think people would be well advised, just, you know what, fuck it, move on, you know? Treat one more day as whatever happened to the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. That's the end of the story, you know? And, anyway, so... I agree with you in that, it more from the angle that it's been all of these years, it's time to move on, but I do understand the outrage, and I do see a little bit of... I, I see some distinctions between Spider-Man and the, the two that you mentioned, Iron Man and the Wally West Flash, but yeah, I anyway. Moving on, that's number three. Number four, speaking of Wally, DC, 
Hire Mark Wade to truly bring Wally West into the new 52. I've been missing good Flash stories since Jeff Johns ruined the Flashverse by bringing back Barry Allen. Now, I'm going to put your email back on pause and say I'm kind of leery about that. Now, as I've said on previous occasions, I love Mark Wade. I've never read a Mark Wade comic and then finished it and said to myself, man, that was a real piece of shit. Fucking, it's never happened, right? I'm a Mark Wade fanboy from way back, and I'm especially a big fan of Mark Wade's Flash. To me, something magical happens when Mark Wade writes Wally West. I don't know what it is, I can't explain it, but there's something that happens when he writes that character, it just comes to life. The first time. His second run, not so much. And that kind of leads into my larger point here. There are instances aplenty of a writer coming back to a, a character or a team or whatever that they made their name on, right? Everybody's all excited about it. Man, this is going to be great. I, I can't wait to see where things are going. And they completely drop the nachos. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just that a lot of writers can't, they can't go back. Whatever it was that made them successful on that character in the first place, they can't go back to that. It's hard for them to put themselves back in the same frame of mind when when they wrote those characters the first time, everything that made the book such a success before, to bring those same values back. And so my fear would be that Mark Wade coming back to the to Wally West, especially in the in the context of the new fifty two, that might not necessarily be gold. Now there are exceptions to this rule. I mean, for every time uh, a, a writer came back to a character and maybe it didn't turn out all that well, you've got stuff like Roger Stern coming back to Superman. When Roger Stern started writing Superman again, it was, to me anyway, it was as though he never left. Make sense? It felt like the stories he, w- he was writing the second time around, were more or less of the same caliber of what he was writing the first time around. And so obviously that would tend to poke holes in my argument, but part of me actually wants to say that Roger Stern coming back to Superman is the exception that proves the rule. Yeah, sure, there are, char- there, there are writers out there who can come back to a character, and it's pretty comparable to what they did the first time around, I'm not convinced that's the way that things normally work. But this is a chance, I guess, for someone to prove me wrong, because I think I read somewhere that DC, in fact, did hire Mark Wade to bring Wally into the new 52. So, asking you shall receive, I guess. And that's what's going to be going on. So, I hope you enjoy it. So, that's number four. Number five, getting back into his email. Big Bang Theory representing geeks. I think these actors are tools and don't do dick to represent me as a comic fan. I tell people I like comics and automatically I'm asked if I watch that piss-poor show. Always Sunny in Philadelphia is a real sitcom. And I'm going to put this on pause again. Look, if you're listening to this show and you enjoy Big Bang Theory, dude, more power to you. I'm not trying to change your mind. All I'm going to do is just give you my point of view about it, all right? To me, there are two major issues that come down 
with the Big Bang Theory. First, there's the show itself. And you've got these four guys, and they're a bunch of socially awkward dipshits. The joke is always on them. They're completely tuned out of real life. They don't understand pop culture. They don't understand, really, basic social interaction. They're a bunch of just fucking losers, and Penny is the only one in the whole show who can who who's normal, right? Penny is she's representative of normalcy in the show, whereas the geeks they're the ones that are they don't understand any of the pop culture references. They're the ones that don't even know how to carry on a, just a normal fucking social conversation. The joke is always on them. They're a bunch of fucking losers. All of that stuff. And it just it just pisses me off. I mean, number one, I know very few comic fans or geeks or whatever you want to call them that really fit into that. Very few. I know of very few that fit into that. And it just kind of fucking bothers me that, you know, geek culture supposedly is defining pop culture right now. But is it you know and i you know my attitude about it you know i think that you know the supposed monopoly that geek culture has over pop culture i think that's completely fucking superficial all right yeah they like our comics they like our characters they like our movies and they like our tv shows and blah 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 they don't like us they never have they never will we are not welcome at their little fucking parties and things like Big Bang Theory, to me, ultimately, they're a very good expression of that. We're the losers. And that's what Big Bang Theory is there to remind us of. No matter how big the Avengers movie is. It can, fuck, a billion dollars, two billion dollars. It can make two billion dollars worldwide. Geeks are still the bitches in this world. And that's what Big Bang Theory is there to remind us of. And... That's just the way that I feel about it. And look, like I said, if you enjoy the show, good for you. I'm not trying to take that away from you. It pisses me off when people try to talk me out of liking the stuff that I like. I just want to want you to understand where I'm coming from on all this, this Big Bang Theory, that to me, we just need to have a little bit of fucking self-respect, really is what it comes down to. So that's the first issue. The show itself is not designed to to make fans feel good about themselves, all right? The other thing, though, was Will fucking Wheaton. Now, to me, of all the, the second-tier, B-list, fucking wannabe asshole fans out there, I, look, I've seen that fucking guy's website, and he has, you know, he's written these books, oh, I'm just a geek, and all this stuff. Motherfucker, dude, no, uh, I'm sorry, you know, Will Wheaton, he may know a little bit about computers. He may like Linux and all this other shit, but I'm sorry. That guy's a fucking bottom feeder. And I'm not just saying that because I didn't like Wesley Crusher. I'm saying that because I don't like Will fucking Wheaton. Fuck you, Will Wheaton. Not that he's listening. But that guy's just a fucking dick. And it just kind of pisses me off that, you know, number one, I just don't like him in general. And number two... He's had a sort of career resurgence since coming on Big Bang Theory, and now he's everywhere, you know. And it's it's like he's famous for being for being this 
supposed geek. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess it just bothers me that somebody is famous for being pop culture's whipping boy, all right? And he seems to have embraced that with both arms. And the real hell of it is, I'm not impressed with his geek credibility at all. All right, so fucking what? You were you were Wesley Crusher in the Next Generation, okay? Big fucking deal. All right, uh, so what? You like you, you like uh, fucking experimenting with with the Linux operating system, okay? Well, motherfucker, I'm not impressed. All right, I just I don't see what about him is so fucking cool, so geeky, so this, so you know, I I don't see it. All right, and so I don't like the show itself. I don't like the fact that it's thrown fucking Will Wheaton back in all of our faces. I mean, yeah, I, I just like to think that as a culture, we were so fucking close to getting over that fucking asshole, and now he's back. Anyway, fuck him. Will Wheaton, if you're listening to this, fuck you. Anyway, getting back into Socrates' email, these are five quick annoying trends. Don't get me started on comic conventions turning into mainstream pop culture orgies instead of back issue heaven or the disappearance of comic shops due to the increase of online consumer points of sale. I like my comic shop dungeon. Save the comic shop dungeons. Dudes are surviving by having role players and other stuff like manga. What the fuck? Great show. Thanks for the opportunity to vent oh great master Magnus, Socrates in Miami, Florida. So, I, thank you, actually. Socrates, and also, you're welcome. And to everybody, I want to say that, you know what, look, if there's something you want to get off your chest, and it doesn't have to be just stuff that you wish would disappear from fandom, right? If there's anything that you just want to bitch and complain about and l listen to me rant about it on on the show for you, man, fucking send it in, all right? I will read that stuff on mic, all right? Send it in. I got you covered. Anyway, so that's the first one. The next one, this also is from Socrates, uh, this is dated January the 23rd. It's entitled Last Show. Socrates writes, Hi Magnus. Just finished the last show and thanks for reading my iTunes post. Well, thank you for writing it. I love comic books above all other media using superheroes as well. That's why I listen to your show and Views from the Long Box. Well, Views from the Long Box is a badass show, dude. So, that's all there is to it. Movies and cartoons are great sometimes, like Avengers and the animated Batman. However... Most of this media is usually created by people that did not grow up as fanboys, which weakens the material and its perception to possible new fans. I think overall, comics have benefited greatly from the fanboy-slash-creator influx starting in the 70s. That influx is starting to spread into movies and other media due to recent box office successes. I hope it works, but comics will always be king. When you think about it, Hollywood is just now catching up to Lee and Kirby's Avengers vision created in the 60s. Best regards, Socrates. So, uh, Socrates, first of all, thanks for writing in. Second, I'm of two minds, actually, about what to think of people in comics now working in media. Make sense? I would love it if Paul Dini could write a script for some new Batman movie, it's unlikely to ever happen. I, I mean, the guy's won fucking Emmys for his Batman work, but for whatever reason, he's not going to be allowed to write a Batman script? I mean, that doesn't make sense. But, 
I can't help but think that the Green Lantern movie suffered a little bit for Jeff Johns being so closely involved with it. Because obviously Jeff Johns is way too close to that material. And I can't help but think that if you'd gone, if you'd gotten some kind of a writer in there that basically could have held Johns at arm's length, told him to just settle down, we're going to write this thing, we'll accept your input, but we are writing this thing. I kind of think the final product would have probably turned out a little bit better. Because i got to tell you, it, to me, the, the weakest link of Green Lantern, and understand, this is a movie that stars Ryan Reynolds, all right? But to me, the weakest link in, in, in the Green Lantern movie is the script. I liked Ryan Reynolds in the role. I thought he was okay. The direction of the movie was pretty good. I liked the aesthetics. I thought the Guardians looked pretty cool. I liked the fights, what there were of them. Uh, I liked the action scenes. I liked the effects. Really, except for the script, the only other problem I can think of with the movie was fucking Megan Fox. And that's just... Not Megan Fox, I'm sorry. What is that chick's name? Blake Lively? Blake Lively, yeah. She was really... I, I just did not see her in the role at all. But otherwise... I don't know. I mean, Carol, by the way, sorry. I didn't actually say the name. Carol Ferris. I mean, but otherwise... You know what? Yeah. Uh, the movie was actually really good. It's just... On the script level, it had some problems, and that ended up affecting the movie as a whole. But otherwise, I, I thought it was great. And so, and a lot of those script issues, I kind of have to acknowledge, come down to Jeff Johns. He was too close to it. Now, keep in mind, I'm, I, I like Jeff Johns. I maybe don't like Superman's Secret Origin. I maybe don't like... Uh, Batman Earth One Volume One. Hell, I I even like Legion of Three Worlds up until like the last two pages of the final issue, the last two three pages. Even that's pretty good. And so you know, I think he's done a whole lot more good than he has bad. But he was just way way too close to the material, the the Green Lantern mythos to. I don't know. I mean, I just I can't help but think that if he'd been kept a little bit more at arm's length, the final movie may well have turned out better. Anyway, it, this is one of those things that we'll never know the full truth about. But I guess what I'm saying is I'm not sure I completely agree with you on this. So, I mean, I understand your point, I, and I think I know what you're trying to argue here. I just I don't think that reality necessarily always supports that conclusion. So, so that's that. Um, next, I've got, um, this is actually an email, this, well, it's an email conversation I had with, um, Sean Angle from, uh, Just One of the Guys, the Just One of the Guys podcast, and basically what's happening is, the reason I emailed him to begin with was, he's coming up on the 100th uh, episode of Just One of the Guys, and I've been kind of wanting to do some cheerleading for that, because, most podcasts out there don't make it to 100 episodes. And so when some... Number one, the fact that he made it there at all... Dude, fucking kudos. All right? Kudos to you, sir. But the other thing is, to have gotten there with such fine style... I mean, I happen to think Sean is fucking hilarious. I mean, there's a reason he's been on this show twice now. 
and although you have only heard one of them now that I think about it, but anyway, um, he's been on the show what will be twice. Well, fuck it. Um, basically, he and I are going to do an episode about Green Lantern Rebirth, and uh, he's just a huge Green Lantern fan. And I thought, well, who better to bring in, uh, you know, for that episode than Sean? I think he's a funny guy. I think uh, he has. He, I think he has a fucking great show. And you should all be listening to him. The fact that he's had 100 episodes of this shit tells me what I need to know right there. And so the fact that he's coming up on 100 episodes of unprecedented badassitude, I think the guy deserves some kudos. And that's just the way I feel about it. And so that was actually the reason I sent him the email that kind of started this conversation he and I had. So, um, And I'm not going to read everything that he wrote, but I'm going to read just part of it. He wrote... In reply to me, because we'd kind of drifted around in the subject a little bit, but he said, Let me say to you that I've been thoroughly enjoying your show, and I'm looking forward to the Smallville coverage. I'm by no means a hater of this show, but I did share in some of the frustration of wanting Clark to just become Superman already. I'm hoping your enthusiasm about the episodes will spur me on to either buy or Netflix the DVDs so I can watch them. I have to admit that during the first few seasons when Smallville was airing against 24 on Fox, I'd regularly watch 24 due to my negative perception of the first season's freak-of-the-week nature. But I started watching again around season 7 or 8 and found the mythology building entertaining. I still would have liked the show to focus more on Clark at times rather than Chloe, Arthur, and Tess. Well, Tess wasn't an, an exceptional character, but I still wanted to focus on Clark. And then from there, he kind of moves on to, to other things. Now, the reason I mention all of this is because this has sort of been the consensus reaction among a lot of people that have gotten in touch with me about my Smallville coverage, that maybe they're fans of the show and maybe they're not. But what they're really looking forward to is me run my mouth about it, because obviously I'm, I'm a big Smallville fan, having a ball with it, and they are apparently interested in what I have to say. So thank you, Sean. I appreciate you taking the time to write all that. Now, like I said, I'm not going to read everything else that Sean wrote because he and I sort of went on a bunch of different tangents and, and all of that stuff. So anyway, so that's that's actually going to be pretty much it for feedback this time around. So I've actually got a little bit more that I could go through, but I want to save a few for next time. So... Um, and, you know, for, uh, we're coming up on, well, actually, just at this point, we're just now passing the 40-minute mark of feedback and stuff, so you can't say you didn't get your money's worth. So I'm going to save the rest of the emails for next time, and uh, thanks to all of you for listening. Bye, everybody, and I'll uh, see you next week. Okay, so I think that's just about the end of that. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a proud member of the Two True Freaks podcast network you can find the home for trentus magnus punches reality at two truefreaks.com which is spelled t-w-o-t-r-u-e-f-r-e-a-k-s you can also find it on facebook just by searching for trentus magnus punches reality there you can interact with your fellow listeners and also see notifications of new episodes when i put them up you can friend me on Facebook by searching for Trentus Magnus, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-S-M-A-G-N-U-S-S. -S -S. You can email me 
and my parole officer at trentusmagnus at gmail.com, which is spelled T-R-E-N-T-U-S-M-A-G-N-U-S. Do you have a suggestion for a topic? Feel free to email me, and I might consider thinking about the possibility of potentially discussing whatever you have in mind someday. And that's a promise. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there's no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at 2TrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, 2TrueFreaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual, and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Do you have a podcast of your own? If so, why not record a promo for me to play on my show? It's quick, easy, and can help you spread the word about your show. I'm always looking for more promos to play. Keep it fairly short, and yours could be next. My promos can be found at this show's homepage for those interested. Just look for the promo section. The contents of this podcast are fictitious, hypothetical, and probably completely unnecessary. Any similarity to living persons or real-life events is purely coincidental and void where prohibited by law, some assembly required, batteries not included. Trentus Magnus Punches Reality is a Magnus Media Enterprises Limited production in association with Demonsecor of Milan, Italy.